Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. When I was looking over the lectionary for this weekend, as the pastor preaching, I have the responsibility of selecting what text we focus on for the sermon. If you recall, as Pastor Bob said, we've recently spent time reflecting on that parable of the lost son, also known as the the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. These three parables of Jesus uh, that he tells in Luke 15 about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son, they all deliver an impactful lesson about Jesus coming to reach the lost. And it feels like I've been talking about that a lot lately, doesn't it? I get up in this pulpit and it feels like week after week, I'm encouraging us followers of Christ to be active in outreach, sharing the message of Jesus. And I feel a little bit like a broken record. Now, for you younger folks, a broken record is a large vinyl disc used to play music. And when it gets broken, the needle would jump back in the song and it would repeat over and over again. And so when I was selecting the text for this weekend, instead of going with Luke chapter 15, I selected 2 Corinthians 5, our epistle lesson instead. You know, to avoid sounding like a broken record. But as I dug deeper into this text, wouldn't you know, the same theme appeared again, except here as God's called ones, ones for whom he's reconciled to himself through Jesus' death and resurrection, we're given the titles of ambassadors for Christ. Because we are saved. Because we are reconciled to God, that God then uses us to share his message of salvation. As ambassadors for Christ, Scripture says that God makes his appeal through us. Scripture also says that God entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. He's entrusted it to us to do with it what we're supposed to do with it, which is not to keep it to ourselves. The reconciliation to God that we know and that we enjoy is the same reconciliation that someone else might be longing for in their lives. And so, yes, you will get to hear again from Scripture how God wants us to be sharing this message of hope and this message of reconciliation. But I want to spend a little bit of time digging into that word, reconciliation, as we hear it five times in five verses. And so as we consider this word, I did some digging into the English first. I found that the word uh, reconcile is made up of of two parts. The root of the word comes from Latin, and it is uh, the word conciliate, which in English means to overcome distrust or hostility of by soothing and pacifying. It also carries with it this idea to bring together, unite in feelings, make friendly. That's the definition given to us. And so if you add the prefix re to this, or reconciliation, it means to do this over again, or to, do, to bring it back. And that's kind of close to what the Greek has here in Scripture. Paul uses the word katalasso, which at his root is lasso, which means to change or to exchange one thing for another or to transform. Kind of like that butterfly metaphor that we used in the children's message. But when you add the kata to the the beginning, the prefix here, it adds this according to nuance to it, as in a rule or 
So it carries with it this like monetary exchange. You exchange one thing for another monetarily. And that's where we get this Christian concept of the great exchange. Where we give to Jesus our unrighteousness. We give to Jesus our sin, our regrets, our failures. And in exchange, he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his holiness and his gladness and his victory. And because that exchange happens, our death becomes life. And the old is made new, and by what Jesus did, he has overcome the feeling of hostility that God has for us on account of our sin. And in exchange, we are made perfect in the eyes of God, sinless and pleasing to God. Notice, too, here that reconciliation isn't just reserved for our relationship with God. It extends to one another as well. And so why is this important? Because in the church at Corinth, there was division. And that's what we humans are good at, right? On account of our sinful nature, we are naturally inclined to separate, to destroy, to blame, and to compare. It's no different for the church at Corinth. If you rewind in the text to verse 11, just a little before our reading, you get a little bit of a buildup, a a little bit of history as to why Paul was addressing the church in Corinth. And he says that the divisions that were happening came from pride and from boasting that was going on. There was judging based on outward appearances. But to be honest, the bane and the division goes even deeper than this. In Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, he strongly encourages that an excommunication take place for a son having an unnatural relationship with his stepmother, which was far from acceptable even for the pagans, according to Paul. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul addresses this specifically, and he goes on uh, so far as to say, Purge the evil person from among you. You can imagine the kind of pain that this caused that congregation. An event like that would be, open, uh, would be an open wound taking a long time to heal. So there was pain and there was division. Now thankfully we don't have to deal with that specific situation here at this church. But in my short time here I have learned that there are even divisions among us. There can be boasting and judging based on outward appearances. One of my buddies from seminary is dealing with this. He's a a pastor out in California, and sadly, the parents of the congregation's preschool called the cops on a homeless person he was trying to help. Instead of that person, who may have felt far away from God or maybe even estranged from God, who just needed a little bit of help and compassion and love, Instead, he's met with fear and disgust and judgment based on outward appearance. Boasting and judging do the exact opposite of being reconciled. Paul says that if we want to boast, boast about what's in the heart. Don't regard people according to the flesh, but rather if one is made new in Christ. 
And because God has reconciled us to him, we can be reconciled one to another. Now in my research for preparation for today, I found another interesting nuance in the Greek that I wanted to make you aware of. The use of katalaso in the Greek here with the, in verse 20, which says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That be reconciled part is called an imperative, which in Greek often sounds like somebody barking orders, like be reconciled, I command you to be reconciled, right? However, in this case specifically, even though it's a superior talking to an inferior, it's Paul talking to the church in Corinth, it carries with it a mood of request. In a sense, you could add the word please before it, and so it might sound something like, we beg you on behalf of Christ, please be reconciled to God, which gives this text a whole different feeling altogether. This imperative request is used in the same way when we make our requests to God in the Lord's Prayer. In the Greek used in Matthew chapter 6, where we find the Lord's Prayer in Scripture, it's written in the same way. Using that imperative of request, it carries with it that same polite and humble pleading with God or with someone else. Please, God, give us our daily bread. Please forgive us our trespasses. We don't bark orders at God. And in the same way, we don't bark orders at people. We don't tell people, be reconciled to God. Instead, with great concern for their souls, we can entreat them in the same way. We, as ambassadors entrusted with the message of reconciliation, get to speak for God, appealing to others a life of submission and freedom a life of forgiveness and purpose. Because that's the truth of this whole reading. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. The sinless became sin and the wages of sin is death. And for Jesus, it was death upon the cross for our sake. Taking the punishment of of sin that we deserve even though he never once committed any sin. And because of that, because of what Jesus did for us, we are reconciled to God. We are forgiven. God promises through the scriptures that if anyone is in Christ, anyone, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. This is the good news that God entrusts to us, to you and to me who have been made new, who are in Christ, that the forgiveness of sins is real and that the love of God truly does extend to all and that you and I and all who believe are brought back into the right relationship with God on account of Jesus' death and his resurrection. We are reconciled to God. And so that gets us back to the start. As God has called us as his ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ, ambassadors of reconciliation, we as God's representatives here on earth 
are reconciled to him and we speak for him and we act for him in our daily lives. So let me ask you, how's that going? Is this message of the gospel reserved just for Sundays? Or is it impacting your lives and your conversations the other six days of the week? How are your relationships with others, especially here in this church? Is there conflict? Is there awkward tension? I encourage you to be the first to apologize. God gives us in Matthew 18 his own words, instructing us that if we have a problem with one another, to go talk about it. And if they listen, we've gained a brother or sister. God, in his wisdom, entrusted this message of reconciliation to us sinners, us reconciled sinners. And so please, for the sake of Christ, be reconciled one to another and to God. And let the peace that only God can give permeate your life, a peace that goes beyond all understanding. May that be yours in Christ now and forever. Amen.